The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom, now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 66 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Still disappointed that the big reveal of the Thunderbolts wasn't that the entire team were clones of General Thunderbolt Ross. I'm Adam. <laughs> That's a bad, bad clone. <laughs> and just like Superman, I look real good in electric blue. I'm Michael. Now, before we get started here, we just want to say Happy New Year! Yes, Michael, we have officially entered the year 1997 in our wizard publication timeline. So I guess this is like season six. We've never really paid attention, but we kind of cover two years in our one year. So seems about right. It's also kind of crazy the fact that we've been doing this for three years now and haven't killed each other yet. I know. Hey. I, I, I haven't driven you crazy yet. <laughs> and vice versa. Oh. Now, well, here's the thing, though. Uh, the, the magazine changes and the coverage of 1997. I'm sure there'll be new features. Some will come, some will go. But we want to give you a heads up about some of these new excitements that we've been discussing. So, Michael, why don't you uh, give them a heads up here? Well, first off, we've been teasing our Jim Lee special for a while now, and we can officially announce the date you can join us for this special Zoom event, Thursday, December 1st, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. If we get as many people as we've had in these past events, and just uh, we've had a great crew, some returning folks that just love these Zoom events, it's a, it's a great time for everybody. We're going to have an opportunity to talk about Jim Lee. Everybody seems to have a Jim Lee story or their favorite work of his. So we'll have that conversation. We'll dig into the issue itself and some of the insights from that era. So look forward to that. But next up, there have been many great returns in comics. You know, the return of Superman. The return of Top Cow to Image we've been talking about recently. The return of Swamp Thing? Oh, I just love that movie. But most exciting to you geeks out there should be the return of Wizards, the Patreon Guide to Comics. Yes, now you can get exclusive behind-the-scenes access to the making of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, new episodes delivered early and uncensored, Wizard Magazine issue scans, and more. So here's the deal, guys. Just full transparency on the podcast. That's what Patreon's all about. A few years back we had our growing patreon community michael's workload increased he felt a little guilty accepting financial support for you know the show when you know he wasn't able to participate creating all the promised exclusive content we're like videos and meetups and all this kind of stuff and so since we closed the patreon down we've heard from many listeners they've gone back to listen to the archived episodes they've said oh patreon how do i get on there i'd love to be a part of it we're like oh well it's not active right now um and a lot of the people who were part of it said oh I, i'd love to just support the show any way i can so we appreciate your love
love of Wizard Magazine, and we are ready to open the doors to Wizards HQ once again. But it's going to be simple, straightforward, just cool. Here's the deal. For a $5 monthly subscription to the Wizards Patreon, you will get Wizards Uncut! New episodes will be released up to two weeks early on our Patreon feed. Now, these episodes are going to be uncensored and unedited, just as if you were sitting in with us, the hosts, and our guests during the recording process. So these people are going to have to listen to me fumble over lines and dialogue and words constantly. They're going to hear me swear like a sailor sometimes when I get really annoyed about certain things. And now the patrons will hear all of that. No joke. For real. And surprisingly, Michael was a little bit excited about this idea. So (laughs) a lot of times uh, when we record these episodes, we want to talk directly to the patrons, stuff we know only you will hear. So it's going to add a whole new dimension to your Wizards listening experience. Ooh, a dimension like the multiverse of Wizards the Podcast Guide to Comics. Ooh. Now, also, you're going to get archive access. Now, a lot of people ask us all the time. They just, like, message us online. Is there a full digital archive of Wizard Magazine anywhere? I'd love to just read them all. And we have to tell them no. But now our patrons will have exclusive archive access. Yes, just think. Wizard would cost you, like, $5 back in the day. And now, with a $5 monthly subscription, you'll get the same entertainment in digital scans of upcoming issues of the magazine that are going to be covered on the podcast. And the patrons are going to be able to read that. You can basically read along with us as we are preparing the show. Frankly, you're going to be better prepared than Michael, who reads nothing until we get on Mike. It's 100% <laughs> accurate. And they'll get all the variant covers that I'm like, oh, I remember that cover. I don't have the issue, but I remember. <laughs> yes, you'll be able to see it all. And you'll be able to ask questions about the issues. It's going to be a lot of fun. That is also part of the Behind the Geeks Pass, which means that we will be posting regular updates to the Patreon about the upcoming topics, guests, bonus episodes, special events if we're able to put those together and just general news about the podcast that you will hear before anyone else online and maybe it won't be shared maybe you'll be the only ones because we're going to ask for your input you may actually be able to affect the course of the show so if you want to hear more swearing from me let us know (laughs) (laughs) not enough swearing now finally we are going to introduce the roll call because we will consider you part of our Wizards team, and we want to shout out every patron on each episode. We're just going to let the world know how awesome you are. So as the new patrons come on, the list will get longer, but uh, we want to give you a shout out because we feel like you deserve it if you are contributing to making this uh, the best podcast it could be. So get ready to join the ranks of the Wizards, the Patreon Guide to Comics this December as you prepare to get your geek on in 2023. Uh, It's going to be a great year indeed. You know what I'd love to also hear? You know, when we give you guys shout outs, the patrons, we'd like to hear your origin story, how you got into comics or how you found Wizard to begin with as a kid or even how you found the podcast. And we'll talk about that on our podcast. That'd be kind of cool to hear like, hey, Johnny from Wisconsin, my origin story is blah, 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 whatever. And we'll share that stuff if if you want us to. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't need to get on mic. We'll, We'll cover it for you and share those stories but you know people back in the day michael they might have had to mail in their origin story to us so i say it's time we open up really lumpkin's mailbag and you'll hear all of adam's slick transitions
Oh my goodness. All right. A rare female letter writer checks in with a question about an omission in Wizard's comic book coverage. Dear Jim, I really enjoy reading Wizard every month. It's a great magazine. I do have a gripe, however. Why don't you ever do any features on funny comics? I know super types sell your mag, but you do have readers that read other things like Archie comics or Hanna-Barbera books. I should know. I'm a 20-year-old woman and I read these comics. People don't think we exist, but we are out there. Layla Oaks, Brockton, Massachusetts. So she she's asking the old moniker of funny books for comic books in mm-hmm. general. That's kind of how things started out. And then it's kind of gone by the wayside in this era. So the response is, we do many of the features we do because of letters we receive. And truth be told, we really haven't seen any letters telling us to do features on funny stuff. Anyone else want to see some? Or would you rather us stick to superhero fare? Write and let us know. That's a question, Michael. Do you like the humor in your comics? Do you want funny animal books? Do you want some wacky nonsense in your comics? Well, it depends. I mean, like, she referenced Archie, and Archie does a lot of weird stuff, which is, it's fun but it's also like they do like taste of horror type of things like which is kind of interesting to see how they cover that stuff and i mean a lot of the like valiant stuff and these other independent brands do have a lot of goofy comics but they don't really cover a lot of archie stuff so i think she might be on to something there yeah i mean i i would just say for me like i always enjoy like you know what the when marvel would do that or when, when they kind of put out like parody books of their more serious superheroes i always get a kick well, out have, of those have you seen the one that's coming out i can't wait i got a buy it oh, they no. did it's basically like the disney characters of like mickey and goofy and everybody as the avengers and they're just variant covers of all the like really classic avengers books with mickey and donald and goofy and everybody oh else. that's fun <laughs> it's really kind of cute it's kind of cool like i, I want to get them <laughs> all right now our next one here we have a gentleman who thinks he's cracked the code on how to be successful in comics he says dear wizard does your last name have to be lee to make it in comics i mean there's so many lees there's Stanley, Jim Lee, Paul Lee, Jay Lee, Scott Lee, and Elaine Lee. I was wondering, if I change my last name to Lee, will I have a better chance to get into drawing or writing comics? How about my first name? And if I change them both, will I become even more famous than all the other Lees? Lee Lee does kind of have a ring to it. Byron <laughs> Lee Manuel via Platt, Louisiana. <laughs> Jim McLaughlin says here, well, I asked Jim Lee of Wildstorm Productions fame, and he thinks he shouldn't bother with the name change. Why? He says that, quote, all the other Lees are just clones of me, and they all die at issue number 75. Anyway, little Jim Lee humor there. Mm-hmm. He says there's no future in it. But he does add that having Lee as a last name makes it easier and quicker to sign autographs at a convention. Elaine Lee, writer of Brain Banks and two Vamps miniseries for DC Comics, wouldn't recommend a switch either. Quote, all I get is people who think I'm related to Stanley. They all think I must be his daughter or something. Stick with Byron Paul. It ain't that bad. I mean, it's not like you have a geeky sounded name like Garib Sheamus or something. <laughs> oh, I gotta get a Garib jab in there. The deep cut there. Wow. Yeah. I went after him. Oh, all right. Well, Michael, you know, we got the news from the letters pages, but I think it's time to get into the headlines here with some. 
Okay, so our top story of this issue, Wade Augustine plan flash hiatus Morrison Millar takeover explains that the celebrated creative team behind the adventures of Wally West will be turning the speedster over to the minds behind Aztec, the ultimate man for 12 issues. Grant Morrison and Mark Millar, who were handpicked by the Speed Force scribe, says, Wade, they're going to have to pry the book out of my cold, dead fingers. But right now, I feel a bit burned out on the flash. But where are they going? A later news item reveals that Wade and Augustine are going to be creating a 12-issue limited series titled JLA Year One. Wade explains the concept. It will be a nod to the untold tales of Spider-Man, story of the Justice League in between stories we already know. Wade also explains the series artist Barry Kitson pushed for a 12-issue length, even though previous Year One stories at DC had never exceeded four installments. Really? Batman Year One was only four installments? Yeah, apparently so. so I uh, forever have Mark Wade and Kurt Busiek like jumbled in my mind in the 90s. Like who wrote what? Who did this? For whatever reason. And this just pushes it further, you know, because Mark Wade's like, oh, I like what Kurt's doing over there. I think I'll do that with the Justice League. It's just kind of funny to me. Uh, next up here, Bone Leaves Image, Smith to self-publish again, announces that after 18 months under the Image banner, the publishing of Bone will once again be handled by creator Jeff Smith and his cartoon books imprint. Smith originally joined forces with Image during the Distribution Wars, where outlets for distributing indie books at a fair price were suddenly very limited. Image's executive director, Larry Martyr, explains, quote, For books like Bone, when we take them on, our hope is that Image can be a kind of safe harbor, a place for people to catch their balance to figure out what they want to do next. Can I share a funny story about Bone? Yes. <laughs> so, as a lot of you guys know, I teach at a college in, in the city. And I teach film. And a few years ago, uh, a student of mine made a, like a commercial about a Midtown Comics in the city. And he basically went there in a chicken mask and picked up a bunch of different books. And Bone was one of them. And he just goes, Bone, throw me a freaking bone, man, in a chicken mask. And whenever I hear someone say Bone in reference to that comic, all I can picture is a student with a chicken mask saying that and makes me laugh my head off every time. Oh. I might be able to find the clip and I can share it on our social media. I have that it somewhere. Be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> So a less amicable break is Randy Queen taking his Dark Child book away from Maximum Press to be published instead under Rob Liefeld's old home Image Comics, says Queen of Maximum Press. If they were good campers and everybody played fair, then I would stay there. I don't wish Rob Liefeld any ill will, but from the business point of view, things just didn't work out. So he's like, I'm at Maximum Press. Up, oh, going over to image sorry Rob. see ya <laughs> next up peter david and dale keown are reuniting for a 48 page hulk pit crossover one-shot book says the writer jokingly if they don't have some type of battle i think fans will be disappointed can you imagine just hulk and pit just sitting down and having just, a philosophical yeah, conversation yeah, just you know sharing a cup of coffee you know <laughs> talking about the politics and and the weather yeah, yeah. how about those bets huh explaining the differences between the two behemoths 
David says, you have Pitt, who is an alien creature moving towards humanity, and you have Hulk, who is a human character moving away from humanity. They actually see that in each other and don't like it. All right, next up here, Mike Allred is writing and drawing a three-issue Superman Madman team-up series about which the creator explains, quote, there will be no reference to the changes that have happened to Superman over the past 15 years. I don't contradict any of the current continuity, but I won't acknowledge it either. Now, I think this is interesting, like 15 years, that seems like a weird span, like maybe like five years or something, but it's just like, he doesn't, it's basically saying, I don't want to acknowledge anything that John Byrne did. I'm, I'm thinking of Silver Age. I don't know. That's kind of interesting. It's almost even like not acknowledging crisis. Oh, you know, yeah. any of that stuff. It's like, nope, never happened. Now, Michael, you might recall, I invited you to read the Madman Superman Hullabaloo series for a mini episode a couple of years back, but you were not impressed. It, was, it wasn't I, for you. I got through one issue and I was like... <laughs> And I think I may have opened the second one. I don't remember. But I will say Michael Allred is writing a Superman book right now that I did pick up the first two issues. And it's basically like Superman in the 60s. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's they're expensive books. They're like $10, $10 per issue, but they're like oversized, like 60 page books. It's very nostalgic to like like Silver Age of comics. And and I dig that. It's it's different than the Madman uh, uh, Superman book. So yeah, I've definitely seen that i've been thinking about picking it up so maybe i think you would you would like it you as as a as a michael red fan and a superman fan i think you would like it for sure Marvel Comics is reportedly in bad shape at this point as Wizard reveals that the publisher has let 115 employees go from their comic book division after suffering $12.5 million in losses. It's the sixth consecutive loss over the last several years. The end is near. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, that's bad news. Yeah. I mean, like just from here on out, it's just like down, down, down. We're going to get Get into this a little bit later in the episode as well. Some perspective from creators and things on this. But finally, here for Wizard News, one publisher who didn't manage to survive was Broadway Comics, who ceased publication of their comics line on November 4th, 1996, says editor in chief of Broadway and at least one more failed comic imprint, Jim Shooter. Quote, given the state of the industry, I'm not surprised. Interestingly enough, Shooter was not out of a job as he was staying on with the new owner of Broadway. Broadway, who were Golden Books, and he he is going to, quote, remain to assess Golden's various licensed properties. So I guess all the work in the 80s, getting Marvel to publish comics based on toys and cartoons paid off for old Jim. He's the expert on licensed comics. All right, Michael, but let's get into our table of contents here. Oh, lots of fun stuff to talk about. So Wizard 66, which features a February 1997 cover date, featured two different covers, the first of which was a J. Scott Campbell Gen 13 cover featuring Fairchild holding up the wizard logo carved out of stone while the rest of the team looks on. So that's kind of a fun one. The other design, though, is a very cool Captain America and Batman team up cover by Tom Grummet. But I consider this a strange choice of artist because John Byrne was the writer and artist on the one shot featuring Cap and the Dark Knight at this time that we talked about last episode. So he would have been the perfect fit. And up to this point, John Byrne was like like a four or five time loser. Like in the early days of Wizard, they commissioned so many covers from him. She-Hulk and the Next Men and all these characters, they had him draw. They always bumped his covers for a hotter, younger artist. And he must have been so bitter. 
later. I bet maybe they did call him and he's like, nope, you burned me too many times. I actually can admit I definitely had this Gen 13 cover for sure. I remember this vividly that I had this cover. That makes I wanted me to know, happy. Because <laughs> A, I liked the Gen 13 characters and I wanted to know what the deal was with the blue lightning Superman suit at the time. It does say at the top, sneak peek, Superman's new costume. Yeah. So I I know I have this one for sure. I mean, I may not have it anymore, but I did have it back in the day. Maybe something that influenced you to pick it up were some of the packet items, Michael, because there was an Iron Man die cut trading card, an X-Man poster with a Brian Douglas Ahern calendar on the back, an AOL subscription disc, and an American entertainment order form for a Gen 13 13C special holiday edition, which when I covered the three Gen 13 issue 13 issues on a recent mini episode, our friend from Horror Movie Barbecue, Chad Young, hit me up on Twitter and he's like, hey, you're missing this. You need this variant cover. And I was like, oh, and I didn't know that it actually came with an issue of Wizard, the order form. So that's awesome. And then there was also a random, when I opened it up inside the price guide section, there was this circular sticker for a game called Spider. And I have no idea what it's about. It's not Spider-Man. It's just Spider. Finally, hmm. of course, inside there was a mail-away coupon for a Mars Attacks half comic from Tops. So they were all about Mars Attacks at this time. Movie's coming out. We're going to promote it. Now, Michael, our first cover story here is a piece on Gen 13 titled The Young and Restless. And it is mostly an exploration of what ingredients have made the book such a runaway hit. Says Jim Lee, quote, As with any book, it comes down to the creative team. It all comes down to Brandon and Jeff. They're extremely committed to the characters. So says writer Brandon Choi, quote, Giving the book a teen style is a very hard balancing act that I sometimes wonder if we can keep up with. To a certain extent, we get our information and feedback from the kids when they send in letters, and that gives us a good feel for what they're into. They were getting so much mail. We talked about this Gen 13 zine a couple episodes back that I have, and it's just filled with like reader letters and commentary and stuff. So people were really connected and wanted to ask a lot of questions about the characters, especially. Uh, But says Campbell, jokingly, of his cheesecake art for the female characters, quote, at the time I started on the book, I hadn't had a date in a while. Now I'm realizing that less is more. I can get the same effect with Fairchild by giving her a really cute expression while she's fully dressed as I can putting her in a bikini. I'm going to be headed more in that direction in the future. Now, on getting criticism for objectifying women with his art, Campbell says, quote, As far as the average sexy shots of the girls, we don't get as much negative mail as you'd think. Surprisingly enough, we get a lot of positive mail from female readers. They really like the fact that the team is led by a pretty girl and she's the smartest one, the tallest one, and she often rescues the males of the group. Now, Michael, this is a similar statement that we have heard in previous issues from the higher-ups at Chaos Comics, you know, who are publishing Lady Death. So what do you think... Is it true that they're getting all these letters from female readers? Are they holding up like three letters from female fans as the proof that women have accepted the bad girl, good girl art style for characters? I would say it's less than five letters if I hadn't ventured a guess. I know. I just, <laughs> I'd I, say I, it's I, a handful. <laughs> Are female comic book fans just, are they a silent minority? Like, we know there can't be as many as there are male fans, but like, do they just not get out there and talk about their fandom? Are they ashamed by it? Like, I, that's what I, I want to know. Say- 
in the 90s, pre-social media, pre-cosplay like being so mainstream, it was like almost taboo for probably a, a female reader to be publicly talking about comics. Now it's much more socially accepted, but I would assume similarly to a lot of people like me where I'm like, I, I can't let people know that I read comics. I want to date girls. <laughs> like um, it's it's I, I think it's probably a bit taboo. Again, I'm coming from a perspective of like the Northeast and tri-state where, you know, who knows if in the Midwest or in, you know, maybe where you were in California and stuff like that, it might have been more socially accepted. I'm not sure, you know, regarding the demographics. Well, I just places. feel like Hollywood could have helped out in Clueless if Alicia Silverstone was out there reading an issue of Jed 13. I just feel like that would have boosted a lot. They of would have sold yeah. a boatload. <laughs> could you imagine if like it popped up in like She's All That or something like that? Or yeah. like, uh, you know, like <laughs> can't hardly wait. Like, what are you doing? I'm reading this comic book. It's like in just Gen 13. They would have sold a fortune. They would have yes, put themselves in retirement. Just get a whole new demographic interested. All right, Michael, take us into the next one. The second cover story is a very fun piece called Creator Combat, where Wizard took a crossover matchup from Marvel versus DC series and asked the writers of the characters in their regular titles who would win? The results are insightful and hilarious. Yeah, okay, so we, we won't read all of them here because there are a whole bunch, but there is some very fun ideas in all this. Because basically, yeah, it seems like Wizard is unhappy with how all the matchups turned, you know, because the fans could vote in Marvel versus DC, right? They're like, ah, I don't think that's how it would have gone down if the writers had their druthers. So let's talk about this one, Michael, Captain America and Batman. Well, let's read what some of these creators had to say. First off, Chuck Dixon says, I'm really torn because I love Cap, says Detective Comics writer Dixon, but I think Batman would win every time. He'd come up with a way, especially if he had advance warning. If he got in over his head, he'd retreat or escape and find a different approach. Batman is going to slug it out with Cap because Cap can punch a hole in a brick wall. Cap is physically stronger and faster, but Batman is more cerebral and cunning. Given enough time to plan, he could defeat anyone in either universe, even Galactus or Darkseid. <laughs> That's a claim. Well, he does defeat Darkseid in, in Final Crisis, so it's not wrong. All right. He was predicting that. Cool. Yes. Uh, Mark Wade says, this is a tough one. The former Captain America writer, as much as I love Cap and as much as I don't give a rat's ass about Batman as a character, I think Batman would clean his clock. He's sneakier and plays dirtier than Cap. Before the fight started, Batman would have set up six traps and he'd have Cap over a barrel in a heartbeat. Cap is a great thinker and a great military strategist, but frankly, Batman is more clever. Cap is many things but he's not sneaky and that would win it. It always will. Batman could beat Galactus. Again, Everybody is convinced Batman could beat Galactus. <laughs> if I had to guess, I mean, I, I could see somehow Batman would figure out how to use Captain America's shield against him and like sever off both of his arms with his own shield. <laughs> Well, let's see here, because Kurt Busick responds, Wade is so wrong, counters Kurt Busick, who researched the entire Marvel Universe for Marvels. Quote, Cap is the world's greatest fighting machine. Both Batman and Cap will always find a way to win, so that cancels out. The Red Skull sets all kinds of traps, too, and Cap prevails. Cap would win any fight, because that's what Cap does. Sure. Peter David, 
if you want to track down a bad guy, you take Batman, says prolific Marvel and DC writer David. But if the bad guy is going to stop and make his stand, I'll take Cap. Cap would slice off that utility belt in two seconds. Isn't that interesting? It's just like, ah, don't have your tricks, Batman. But like they say, he would probably plan ahead in all of that. So here is Wizard's final decision on the matter, having heard all the arguments. They say, "Ah, yeah, we know that Batman's the toughest, hard as nails, no-nonsense butt kicker in town, and nobody beats Batman except Captain America. Yeah, Bats is sneaky and would probably rig the battleground with all sorts of unpleasantries. But while Batman is the world's greatest detective, Cap is the world's greatest fighter. This guy's been knee-deep as a soldier strategist in every situation imaginable. From World War II battlefields to battling otherworldly demigods, the one thing Captain America can do better than anyone is to outlast his opponent, turn a situation to his advantage, and regardless of the odds, beat you. That, and Cap is enhanced to the pinnacle of human perfection. Batman is just a man. Cap takes it after a drawn out, every trick in the book slugfest cat mouse battle that would leave the super soldier exhausted, battered and bloody, but more importantly, victorious. So what do you say, Batman's number one fan? Is it Cap or Batman? I still think Batman would somehow slice off Captain America's arms with his own shield. <laughs> I love my... the arms. The <laughs> arms have to come off. <laughs> it's. I just, I, I can see somehow Batman like using a magnet right and like sending the the shield back at captain america so fast that it just severed his arm something like that <laughs> and that would have been it the end all right well let's let's skip over here to daredevil versus batman of course daredevil uh very big due to his recent appearance on she hulk and then he's getting his own a series soon enough on disney plus but chuck dixon once again is contacted here he says batman fighting daredevil is a snap this says batman's writer it would take no time at all he'd watch daredevil for about five minutes and say hey this guy's blind then he'd figure out a way through sound or something else in his vast array of electronic gear to beat him maybe screw with his inner ear or something what if dd <laughs> used the old ploy of turning out the lights Batman in the dark is at no disadvantage because he has all kinds of light intensification gear in his cowl. He can see as well in pitch blackness as he can in daylight. DD can work in the dark and he's an incredible acrobat and a terrific martial artist and all that jazz, but Batman wouldn't have a problem. He'd set up some distraction for DD's senses then pummel the crap out of him. <laughs> I don't disagree. Carl Kiesel says, much as I hate to say it, says current Daredevil writer, Batman would win. DD is a little closer to street level than Batman, a little more like the average guy who puts on a costume and does what he can. DD has heightened senses, but Batman is tougher because he's obsessed. He's got way more intensity. He's like a force of nature. I enjoy heroes with feet of clay, and that's Daredevil. Batman's got all the gadgetry, and all Daredevil has is a billy club. Daredevil's clever and resourceful enough that he might be able to make it a draw, but given a long, drawn-out battle, I'm pretty sure Batman is going to win. I wish I could say it was different, but if I were a betting man, I'd go against my own guy. Oh, wow. So Wizard's decision, holy beat the guy in red tights, Batman. Dixon hit the nail on the head. After a few minutes of punch, block, kick, block, etc., Bats would figure out old Hornhead is blind. As soon as that happened, Bats would find a way to screw with his radar sense or overload his enhanced senses and bam, Daredevil would be down for the count. 
Now, the next one here on the same page is She-Hulk versus Wonder Woman. So John Byrne says, I've always been inclined to pick She-Hulk, simply on power level, says Byrne, who once wrote and drew She-Hulk and currently chronicles Wonder Woman. Certainly She-Hulk is stronger than the version of Wonder Woman that we've seen so far, but I'm going to be using the concept George introduced that she's as strong as the Earth to give her an almost infinite amount of strength to draw on as she needs it. We haven't seen that yet, so it's probably not fair to your readers to use it, so I'd go with She-Hulk. Ultimately, I don't know. It's a tough choice. I see them facing off and just standing there, not moving the other an inch in a standoff. But in the back of my little pea brain, I think She-Hulk would win. <laughs> Interesting. Well, thank you for giving me George Perez. That's kind of cool. Diana has the advantage, says the man who revamped Wonder Woman in 1986. She has more than just strength going for her, especially if she's got her lasso. That pretty much ends the She-Hulk chances right there. Plus, she's faster than Hermes and has the advantage of flight, and she was trained as a warrior. In sheer strength, they'd probably go toe-to-toe, but Diana is more than brute strength, and that's all She-Hulk has. The only advantage She-Hulk has in that Diana won't attack her with a closed fist unless she knows the opponent can take a closed fist. That hesitancy for the first strike might be a problem for her. She-Hulk's only chance is to hit first and stun Diana enough to follow through before Diana could defend herself. Now, the question I have is the the part about She-Hulk, I think she just has a set power level, at least at this time. Like, you know, they always say the matter Hulk gets, the stronger Hulk gets. But I don't think that Jen has that side of the <laughs> the gamma radiation. Because I think of the fact that, like, she doesn't lose who she is when she's She-Hulk, like yeah. Banner does. Like, he's a different person, you know? And that's why he can get so much more enraged. I don't think she... Like when she goes for like savage She-Hulk at sometimes, then sure, I could see that, but not normally. Yeah, it's, you know, just with all the factors of basically being like a demigod, essentially Wonder Woman, they they say that she's going to win. Wizard agrees there. Now, uh, speaking of a battle featuring gods, this last one here, Superman versus Thor. I love the reasoning here and the people that they have involved in the conversation are fantastic. So first up, Walt Simonson, any kind of fight like that between relatively evenly matched opponents, and I would say that's true of Superman and Thor, is clearly going to be one at the discretion of the writer, says the former Thor writer artist. But given in a sense that Thor is a magical being and magic is one of the two things that Superman is susceptible to, I would probably tilt a little in favor of Thor. On the other hand, Superman is unbelievably powerful. In a knockdown dragout fight, if he could avoid getting clocked by the hammer, that might make the difference. If anything gave Thor an edge, it would be magic. If anything gave Superman an edge, it would probably be his intelligence and speed. But hey, I'm prejudiced. I wrote Thor. I think Thor would win. So Louise Simonson says, The current Superman, the Man of Steel writer, disagrees with her husband. Okay, see, the quote on the hammer is, If he be worthy. I think there's no guy worthier than Superman. Heck, he picks up the hammer. He's got the Thor power himself. And I think, I kind of think the same thing. Like, if Captain America could wield Mjolnir, so could Superman for sure. Yeah. I think that once he's got the Thor power, Thor doesn't stand a chance. Superman picks up Thor's hammer and he's got the power of Thor and the power of Superman as well. He whoops Thor's ass. Please. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) But what if he doesn't pick up the hammer? He's a very, very bright guy and he'd figure out pretty fast. 
he has the this kind of vision that you would read all sorts of microscopic lettering on the side of the hammer and stuff he'd check it out i love the husband and wife battling it out for their respective characters right that's kind of fun i agree now wizard says finally i say thee nay while we gave the soups hulk match to the big s this time we tip our helmet to the thunder god think about it aside from his super strength invulnerability and the fact that he'll be smacking you with his hammer thor can't control the weather bet you even soups will feel that 143rd lightning bolt sea kingdom come number four and he's a viking warrior the guy's been duking it out hand to hand for centuries with villains monsters heck with other gods this is the one super type who truly understands understands the art of battle yeah it'd be the second toughest fight of his life see the ragnarok storyline in thor 337 to 355 for the toughest but there's not much question about it thor leaves soups flat on his back i disagree but i do love the kingdom come reference that's one of my favorite parts of that entire series is when just shazam just like shazamming the crap out of him yeah. it's so good i have to point out something though and this is only because like the Black Panther Wakanda Forever is coming out and and Namor is in it. Like they couldn't have picked a worse character design for Namor in this particular post than this one with this long ponytail. That's just weird. <laughs> it's just not a good look. I don't like the ponytail, long hair thing. Yeah, and we'll post this to social media because like we said, there's so many other team ups. They have Aquaman versus Namor and all that stuff. So uh, we'll put that out there so you guys can tell us your thoughts on who would win. But Michael, support for Wizards, the podcast guide to comics is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels manscapes performance package 4.0 is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code WIZARDS20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. <laughs> and speaking of balls, Michael, we're so excited to have Manscaped as a sponsor. And I will tell you, not only me, but my wife. As soon as I mentioned that Manscaped was coming on board as a sponsor, she got very interested in my balls. <laughs> I'm just telling you, we've been having conversations. She is so excited about where my personal grooming has gone. All the time we've been married, she's like, I can't believe you're so hairy. Well, dear, I'm trim and looking good just for you. But honestly, it is really improved her interest in this guy. <laughs> That's 100% true, by the way. As soon as I said Manscaped, she's like, what is it? I said, it's for your balls. She's like, really? You're going to trim your balls? I'm like, yes. My wife is like, what are you going to shave it into? Like a deep V? Or like, I'm like, I don't know. Bat symbol, maybe? Who knows? Michael, let me ask you this. How has Manscaped helped your confidence? Actually, it's really invigorated me like for personal grooming. And I'm a little bit of, I don't know preppy nerd and you know i like to feel clean when i got this product and i started using it i feel great i really feel like a different person like you feel cleaner you feel more invigorated i really like it well here's the thing geeks manscape sent us each the performance package 4.0 and it truly is a game changer like michael's telling us because inside this package you'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer weed whacker era nose hair trimmer crop preserver ball deodorant crop reviver toner performance boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold your goodies so the lawnmower 4.0 is the future of grooming and dare i say 
say the greatest ball trimmer ever? You're not kidding. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000 Kelvin LED spotlight you need for a more precise shave. And because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to that mess on the bathroom floor. Now, the Lawnmower 4.0 is great, but here's the thing. You want to take your grooving game to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. And here is the thing, Michael. I have not been kind to myself when it comes to trimming those nose hairs because I'm not trimming. I'm yanking. Jeez. And man, ugh, it is, I'm tearing up. Montana to... torture right there. <laughs> So the good news now is with the Weed Whacker, I can use it and it's just, it's a smooth experience. It's over and done with. I don't have to dread cleaning out those nose hairs and the ear hairs too, because yep, as I'm getting older, they're growing out there too. So the Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holds, even those self-imposed tugs. (laughs) Sounds like a personal problem there. (laughs) Their Crop Reserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I tell you, fellas, from somebody who works in New York City and walks like six or seven miles a day, by the end of the day, I need that ball deodorant because it can be rough. Your balls will thank you. Trust me from someone who's used it. It is fantastic. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts with their Performance Package 4.0. Manscaped Gave boxers and their shed travel bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code WIZARDS20. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WIZARDS20 at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code WIZARDS20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Now back to the show. All right. Now, the Wizard Q&A with Peter David is yet another interview with the comic book writer who hasn't stopped working since starting out in the Marvel Comics direct market sales department and then moved on to writing celebrated runs of the Incredible Hulk 10 years at this point, Aquaman, Spider-Man 2099, my personal favorite, and Supergirl, among others. Now, it's also mentioned that David has written several novels and the screenplays for low-budget sci-fi movies like Trancers and Oblivion. He even wrote a never produced sequel to Big Trouble in Little China. Did you know that? I did not know that. That's interesting. It's I mean, called more, more Trouble in Little China. That sounds about right. That yeah. sounds perfect. Now, of course, there's plenty of teases for upcoming plot lines and the multiple comics he was writing for DC and Marvel at this point. But most interesting to us is David's take on the current financial state of Marvel Comics, Onslaught, and the Heroes Reborn event. So listen to his thoughts here, because I'm just going to read them verbatim. They're fascinating. So speaking of plotting recent events, was the Heroes Reborn revamp of Marvel's core characters, including the Hulk, simply thrust upon you? Or did you have some level of input? And David says, Heroes Reborn was thrust upon everybody. When Heroes Reborn initially came up, the Hulk was essentially canceled as far as I knew. As far as everybody knew at the time, we were canceling the Hulk and making him a supporting character in the new Iron Man. Although if you look at Iron Man, you really can't tell it's the Hulk who's supposed to be the supporting character. Or he's more like the Hulk guest starring Iron Man. 
<laughs> in any event, I thought the book was gone. It was primarily due to the protest and anger from the fans and the support from people within Marvel who looked at each other and said, why in God's name are we canceling the Hulk that the book was saved? It was then decided that there would be two Hulks and that the Hulk would indeed be a major tie-in to the Liefeld Lee universe and a major factor in the eventual resolution of that particularly curious corner of the Marvel universe. So that's a fascinating bit of history, right? It's like, oh, Hulk's canceled? No, don't cancel it. Okay, we're back. <laughs> now, that's funny. Wizard goes on to say, while we're talking about Heroes Reborn, what's your opinion about it, aside from the business aspect? To me, there is nothing more aside from the business aspect. It was done for business considerations and money considerations. It wasn't done out of any editorial drive. To my mind, it was done as a massive lack of confidence held by the powers that be, saying that Marvel's editorial staff or Marvel's current creative crew could produce stories that would sell. Captain America was going up in sales in a fairly acclaimed series of stories by Mark Wade, and Thor was has been gaining to increase in sales as well because comic books traditionally go up and down in sales. This is no shock but the powers that be wanted something really big and event driven because Marvel is now event driven rather than story driven. They basically organized this in hopes of getting some sort of major cachet for Marvel. I must admit to a mild degree of glee upon seeing that Marvel stock posted such impressive third quarter losses. Stock prices on Marvel stock dropped by around 30%. So ha ha, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey Marvel, there's your event and he laughs that's uh, cold that's yeah, really cold seriously it's difficult for me to separate my annoyance on behalf of the slap in the face to marvel's creative and editorial teams on the part of marvel management from the stories themselves overall i think it's kind of problematic and it certainly hasn't made my life any easier because i was going in a particular direction with the hulk and the onslaught crossover dragged it in a totally different direction it took me three issues to pull the book kicking and screaming back in the direction that i was trying to go it took a while and i think i lost a portion of my readership during that time because they didn't want to sit around and wait and see the Hulk restored to where I was going before. It really took it off course and I would have greatly preferred that it had not happened. I pretty much like to be able to work off on my own. I'm not one for crossovers. Onslaught was a tremendous pain in the ass. <laughs> all in all, I'm kind of underwhelmed. I read all the first Heroes Reborn stuff except Avengers. I think that's okay. It doesn't knock my socks off, but it's okay. Considering that there is supposed to be a major Marvel event upon which they're hinging, as near as I can tell, a good deal of the company's editorial future, I don't know if okay is going to be enough to blow up anybody's skirts in a business sense. So I, just, I love the fact that Peter David is, you know, he's essentially a freelancer, right? Cause right. he may have started at Marvel, but he works at Marvel and DC and everywhere else. So he really doesn't care <laughs> who he's upsetting. He's like, wherever the paycheck comes, I'll talk to you about the other guy. <laughs> Care. <laughs> yeah, but the last bit here, Wizard asks, looking at the market as a whole, what's your view of Marvel and DC these days? And he says, I think at this point, DC is much more solid. Marvel is in a situation that their fates stand or fall, depending on whatever Ron Perlman wants at any given moment. And Perlman has his own financial problems to worry about. It would not surprise me at all if Perlman sold Marvel within the next year. What I would find really morbidly interesting is if Marvel would be bought by Time Warner, which would make evident sense because of the growth of the independent company 
comic market with image and such, it wouldn't even be a question of a monopoly anymore. With the success of the Marvel versus DC stuff, the concept of putting both companies under one roof would be a fairly attractive one. No, that wouldn't surprise me at all, considering that 10 years ago, the DC characters were going to be sold to Marvel. So who knows? Certainly the recent stock market losses are not good for Marvel, whereas Time Warner has become the media megalith. So it very well could swing in that direction, at which point I have no idea what would happen. That's a difference 25 years makes. Yeah. Because now it's, now it's swung the t- pendulum the other direction. Now it's like mm-hmm. DC's hanging on by a thread and they're like, you know, there's constant rumors online of will Disney and Marvel buy DC? Could we get Superman in the same universe? Which I think will never happen in real life. But it, it's funny that the, the pendulum swung the other way now, which just seems like, you know, par for the course. Right. And it's interesting because I've, I feel like I've heard it in passing at some point, but the idea that it, he just drops it casually in there, that at one point Marvel was going to buy DC. Yeah. Like, like that. I want to, I need to research that more. Cause I, like I say, I have a vague understanding, but that, that would have been an interesting situation. I think as it well. was, I think it was right before crisis or like right around, like, you know, before they did that event, cause they were like, we need to do something to shake things up. This issue also features a wizard special report about Superman's new powers and costume, a.k.a. Blue Superman, former Marvel 2099 group editor turned Superman editor Joey Cavalieri says, we thought it was time to make things a little tougher for Superman. And since we already killed him, it seemed the way to do it was get him powers he was unfamiliar with and have him learn how to walk again. It's explained that Superman lost many of his solar-based powers during the final night event where the sun was blotted out for a long time. Then he had an adventure in the Bottle City of Candor that further affected him, and now the Man of Steel's powers are changing. Explains Cavalieri, he's becoming an energy-based creature. So instead of bullets bouncing off of him, now they'll pass through him and shoot somebody else behind him, unfortunately. Yeah, that was, I, I read that and I was like, whoa. And then they're like, he's a villain. What? Yes. <laughs> he didn't pop the bullet. I don't know. Dan Jurgens elaborates because of that, he's going to need a containment suit. While another former Marvel employee turned super scribe, David Michelini, explains when Superman becomes Clark Kent, he will be a solid form. He's strictly a human being with no powers and now will be vulnerable in that form. Finally, Cavalieri reveals that instead of flying in his conventional way, he'll learn how to fly like like a bolt of lightning streaking from one place to another. When asked if this is just another gimmick event to boost sales, Jurgen states, we're making a deliberate attempt to change the status quo. I guess if we get a billion letters saying it sucks, we'll probably back out, but I highly doubt that's going to happen. (laughs) So, Adam, have you read this Superman error? And what do you think? I definitely saw it as a gimmick back in 1997. And And I was just like, nope not interested you're just gonna change his costume he just got married you know he died a couple years ago now he changed his costume so i was just like no 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 but i picked up uh, in a back issue bit a couple issues from this time recently and finally read like the issues leading up to the change and i really like this because i have no interest in 
the status quo of Superman. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to go back and read, you know, 75 years of history. What, you know what I'm saying? Like, like at, the, at this point in time, however long it had been. And so to me, I like the change up because I'm always up for an Elseworlds story. So this feels like me an too. era where it was like Elseworlds. What if Superman was energy based? Okay. So I don't know if you know this or not. So at the end of the New 52, the Superman of that version dies. And he had like a solar powered energy ability that kind of came out of nowhere toward the end. And in like his last issue in New 52, he blows up and dies, that version of Superman. And in the energy blast, Lois Lane and Lana Lang were in the blast radius and got hit with Superman's energy powers. And then at the start of the DC rebirth, Lois Lane is Superwoman and has like the flying and strength abilities and so on and so forth. And Lana Lang has the red Superman abilities. And then they run that story for a while, which was probably one of my favorite rebirth stories to start off with. And then they kind of just phased it out and, and kind of killed her off. And it was a bummer. But well, yeah, and, I, and I'm looking forward to learning about because I, I have an issue of the Superman Red in my hands. I love how they actually changed the title. Superman Red, Man yeah. of Steel is what they were calling it. I'm like, oh, that's going to be interesting. But at this point, just seeing the blue Superman powers, I was like, everything is truly different. Like, it really yes. is. So, and I like the idea that like when he's not in his Superman form, his he has no powers. Yeah. yeah, he's just a normal guy. And he gets upset by that. He gets grumpy. He's like, oh, I, I can't do anything anymore. <laughs> I, I I did dig that because I do remember picking up a couple of these issues back in the day and I thought that was kind of interesting and I actually really liked the character design of both the blue and red Superman I like the way they did the S it's kind of an interesting sort of thing and they're bringing it back yet again no way yes with John Kent coming up soon and in the beginning of like the early part of 2023 they they keep teasing images of John Kent now having like the blue or the red suits with like lightning abilities and stuff like that around him to commemorate Superman's new look wizard actually commissioned artists like J Scott Campbell Jerry Ordway Joe Casada and others to share their redesign of the of the Superman costume which was featured at the end of this article that we will post on social media. So what's your favorite design? They're all very interesting. Some of them like didn't change anything at all, uh, but I would have to go with the Joe Casada outfit because basically his quote is, the one thing I'd have to keep is the cape. It's a great element with drawing motion, simple and sleek with no goofy underwear belt or red support hose. Just plain old black leather with a blue sheen. Give big Jack Kirby like cape and he should look like a god. So I like the idea of like kind of an all black costume with a little bit of a blue shine to it that that sounds like a fun look kind of like the eradicator in a lot of ways i guess i do like the joe casada look a lot i think that's probably the best one i don't dislike the j scott campbell one but it's like one of those 290s to survive the 90s kind of looks you know (laughs) it's got all these jim lee straps on like the ankles and on the wrists yeah like for no reason i don't like the uh kevin lau one because it looks kind of like he-man with a cape in a yeah, way it just looks like a monster yeah yeah and uh the jerry ordway one it just looks I, like his shazam that's what yes, it looks like <laughs> exactly because it's got the small cape and everything yeah it's, yeah it's like shazam with an s on the chest basically yeah, that's all they're dealing with but I, I still thought that was really cool that they got them to to submit some sketches so what could have been 
Yeah, could have been, <laughs> been better. Now, also in this issue is a retrospective piece called Dark History, which attempts to create a complete timeline of the Star Wars universe through the expanded universe stories told in the Dark Horse and Marvel Comics series published since the 70s, which is like a monumental task. Now, of course, all of this continuity was disregarded when Disney purchased Lucasfilm and started their own sequel trilogy and various spinoff series on Disney+. Plus. They didn't want to contradict it anyway, so none of this matters but uh wizard does include a fun sidebar that acts as a pronunciation guide to all the made-up names in the star wars galaxy but just so you know this wasn't like a random article like oh it's very important we put it in star wars it was because wizard was launching their first issue of sci-fi invasion which was just a special at the time headed up by doug goldstein uh, for which an ad appears at the end of this article ah very wise very wise plus they interview the guy who's in charge of all the kenner star wars toys and the toy chest section so they're like star wars sci-fi now come read the full magazine you love it right And finally, Stealing Thunder is an interview with Thunderbolt creators Kurt Busick and Mark Bagley, where the pair drop more details on the individual characters making up this team of, quote, new heroes. The roster is made up of Citizen V, and they say it's not Citizen 5, it's Citizen V, which was a name taken from a 40s era hero. There is also Songbird, who can create sound constructs like wings and projectiles with her voice. It's revealed that uh, she was actually based on at the time do you remember the controversy over how thin supermodel kate moss was was yes oh she's anorexic blah 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 girls are thinking that's the body you need to have and all this stuff so but they said that's who they were basing her on techno who's he is the one (laughs) (laughs) if only right he i'd be awesome he just had a speaker on him and everywhere he went it was just a techno beat just But the strange thing is, they say that he is the one who repaired Songbird's damaged vocal cords and gave her her powers, which I didn't know. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. Uh, Also on the team is Atlas, who grows giant like Hank Pym. And like Mark Bagley's like, I always wanted to draw a giant. I'm so excited. (laughs) Mach 1. Who has he has outfitted himself like a one-man jet plane, uh, which was actually there's a character in the Captain Power, the Soldiers of the Future series, the same thing. So they kind what of was that, that show in the '80s where the kid turned into a car? Oh yeah, that was Turbo Team. <laughs> This is kind of what that makes me think of. It's like, this man, he just turns himself into a jet plane instead. Or Centurions, because he's basically just got stuff like stuck to him. He's like, look, I can do plane stuff now. Uh, And then finally, there is Meteorite, who derives her powers from extraterrestrial energy. They're very clever in how they put those two words together, because when you find out her real name, I've said too much, later on, you realize what that's all about. Now, what's what's her real name? You don't know the secret of Thunderbolts? No, I don't remember. Oh, then we're, I'm not telling anything. I'm not going to ruin this for you. When it comes out, this is going to be a great surprise for you. (laughs) This is awesome. Okay. But Busick teases readers of the time and Michael with more than they would expect when he says, quote, naturally with a group of new heroes like this, you would expect there to be some secrets and surprises as we get to know them. And we're certainly going to have those. Is it Photon? Is it, is it, is it, is it, uh, Ms. Marvel? Like, 
We're like, not I, spilling the beans. <laughs> I can Google it. It's 2022. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. <laughs> okay. And of course, yes, big surprises are in store for the Thunderbolts. Uh, and this is a big, big deal. It was a great swerve, as they say in the 90s wrestling business. But they, you know, I mean, we also know that Thunderbolts is getting a movie, but who knows what direction that is going to go, like how much of this story of the original they're going to use. So speaking of comic book movies, Michael, I think it's time for Heroes in Motion with a King of the transitions <laughs> you know they're doing a better both movies so let's talk about movies here we go <laughs> The big news in this issue is the real-life criminal activity from the set of Batman and Robin. Illegally obtained footage from the set was somehow obtained by the tabloid news show Inside Edition. And as a result, Warner Brothers Security set up a sting operation on Schwarzenegger's first day on set. Director Joel Schumacher reported one guy walked right up to Arnold, had a camera strapped to his ankle, and took 36 photos. We arrested them right outside the stage. They used fake badges to come on Warner Brothers property. They passed themselves off as people they were not. Reportedly, 30 cameras and 52 rolls of film were confiscated in the bust. Schumacher was not satisfied, however. The people who paid for this illegally obtained material should also be considered criminals. Well, that would not fly today because they could get away with that stuff now with a cell phone from 100 yards away. (laughs) But isn't that crazy? Like, you think about it this day and age, right? And over the last 20 years, like, yeah, everybody wants to get the leaks and all that stuff. But back then, like, they were taking it so seriously. They're like, we are setting up a sting. These guys are going to jail, you know? Yeah, now it's like, eh, oh, well, it happens. Did you hear anything about this at the time? Does this ring a bell at all? (sighs) No, I mean maybe, yeah. but I don't. I don't remember it. But I, I'm surprised. Like Inside Edition, yeah, I, I get that. You know, could you imagine if TMZ existed back then? Oh my mm. goodness, they'd have everything already. Batman himself, George Clooney, blew a fuse after another tabloid TV show, Hard Copy, aired a segment about his girlfriend. As a result, Clooney boycotted all Paramount Entertainment news shows, which included Entertainment Tonight, said Clooney, no interviews from this date on, nothing from ER, nothing from One Fine Day, nothing from Batman and Robin, nothing from The Peacemaker. Those interviews will be reserved for all press but you. Oh, Clooney laid it down. Wow. <laughs> so much War- drama. Right, really? Maybe they also knew that Batman and Robin was going to be bad. He's like, I don't want to do press for any since they're going to ask me how bad Batman and Robin is. Walt Disney Pictures and Sweet Pea Entertainment have announced that they are producing a live-action theatrical Gen 13 movie in addition to buying the distribution rights to the animated feature already in production. Unfortunately, this is the final nail in the coffin for the Jim Lee creations making it to the big screen as Disney is ultimately revealed to have bought the properties in order to shelve them to prevent any competition 
Wow. Is that yeah. is that why we still don't see anything like Gen 13 didn't really come back at some point or? Well, no, I, I just think in, in that era. Yeah, it was like, you know, there was all, so much going on because they had the breakaway of the people who started DreamWorks, you know, mm-hmm. and so like they're they're just like, we want to be the animation people. We want to be, you know, like like they, they just like anything we can get rid of that we can afford to buy and put over here and nobody sees it, then all the better. It's briefly mentioned that Thor and Submariner movies are in development, but of course, we would not see Prince Namor on the screen until this year's 2022 Wakanda Forever, which is kind of crazy. Like, it, it seems just so bonkers that we're seeing Namor on screen now. It's like, who would have thought? Who would have ever yep. thought? Finally, Mark Hamill's Black Pearl story, which was originally written as a screenplay before being adapted into a Dark Horse comic book, is slated to go back to its roots with a live-action film directed by Hamill. Of course, we never see the movie, and Hamill has to settle for directing comic book The Movie instead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I remember hearing all about the Black Pearl in these issues of Wizard that we recovered, because on the mini-episode, there was an interview with Mark Hamill where he talked all about the history of this project. And it's a pretty cool scenario. I don't know if you ever saw the Dustin Hoffman movie Hero. Yes, that movie sucks. (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it's kind of a similar premise, but turning him into a superhero. It's like this guy who was actually stalking this woman ends up saving her life. And then the media is like, oh, you're a hero. You're a hero. And he's like, oh, no, I'm actually a creep. And like, it's a, it sounds like a really interesting idea that he's getting all funded to be a superhero, but he's just like, oh, I'm not really a good guy. So it would have been an interesting story to see make it to the big screen. Seems like something Hollywood would be into, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. But speaking of Hollywood, we're going to hear a little bit more about it as we rev up. Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. So Todd McFarlane reports on the live action Spawn movie stating cryptically, quote, we're achieving what we set out to do with the script. (laughs) It's the most bland statement ever. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. We wrote a script. It's going to get made. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Now, Todd also adds that as far as the adaptation from page to screen, quote, I was the guy most willing to make changes from the comic books. I wanted something that's cool. It's dark. It's mysterious. It's funny at times. It's kind of sensitive. Even though it's from a comic book, it has a more intelligent, sophisticated sensibility. It's everything to everybody. (laughs) You'll love it. It's a movie. It's a movie. All right. Next up, Jim Lee is giving Wizard an update on the X-Men Wildcats four-issue miniseries. Now, two issues are being published by Wildstorm, which will feature art from Travis Charest, Jim Lee, and they're going to be written by Scott Lobdell. But I didn't know this. Two other issues will be produced by Marvel, who had not yet announced the creative teams. And these are going to be stories that are spanning past and future team-ups between like Wolverine and Zealot and World War II grifter and gene gray of all people in the 60s and then there's like stories set in the future and one in the present day like it's so weird to be like i didn't realize all the ins and outs because i only have one issue i have the old world war ii one but uh jim lee says quote the story makes it clear that the x-men and wildcats exist on the same earth so naturally they would have run into each other before naturally please buy wildcats from me (laughs) please 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 (laughs) 
Oh, DC, you'll take him? Okay. <laughs> I just, it's, it's, you know, it's such a bummer because those characters are so good and they just, it's again a case of they don't know what to do with them anymore. Well, I'm just surprised there isn't a writer like of our age who has gotten in there and says, I want to tackle the Wildcats. I have a cool take. It just seems like there has to be somebody. Like like a Scott Snyder could easily come up with a story for them, or there's got to be a, a team that could make something of them nowadays. I feel like there's got to be. I mean, I was most excited when you informed me that there is a Fairchild one-shot being drawn by J. Scott Campbell coming out soon. I was like, whoa, they're doing something. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that, too. All right. Well, guys, you've been on pins and needles since last episode. These guys, Jim and Todd, have been so tied up in the mentions. These last few issues, they just keep tying. They just kept tying. And I did not know what was going to happen this time around. But uh, we have a winner. That's all I can tell you. So here we go. Get ready for it. Are you sitting down? In this issue, Todd McFarlane is mentioned four times. Jim Lee is mentioned nine times. That's right. Jim Lee is mentioned 395 times. Todd McFarlane, 390. So there you go. We have a winner. It is a glorious day. Jim Lee has finally overtaken Todd McFarlane. And I am curious to see because it seems like he's only ramping up and up. There's all sorts of stuff coming from him. So uh, we'll keep our finger on the tally. But Michael, why don't you help close us out with Turok's top 10. We've got a little bit of a interesting thing here. Garab's predictions for 1997. And there are several. And, you know, we don't often hear from Garab about like his thoughts on things in the magazine, I feel like. Michael, I'll tell you what, we still won't hear from him because as has been revealed on many of the Wizard Files interviews, uh, his from the top, you know, letter from the uh, owner type thing, uh, he never wrote those. <laughs> it was always somebody else at the magazine. And he just signed his name to it. So uh, let's, let's get into these predictions. 1997 is a very interesting year. The big events include a new Batman film, a Spawn film, the Star Wars re-releases. This is a great year for entertainment and an especially big year for toys. Is it a great year for entertainment? I don't know about (laughs) that. As for comic books, here are my predictions for 1997. Number one. There will continue to be lots of crossovers. Publishers seem to like them. That's for sure. Uh, Number two, major events will shock the industry. Obviously, I can't tell you now, but there will be some big events on the scale of the Superman wedding, spot number 50, and Heroes Reborn that will drive sales. Number three, the quality of books will continue to rise. In 1996, many books got on track, and 1997 will see a continuation to that trend. Number four, I hate to make this prediction, but lateness of books will still be a problem. However, books that ship late were severely affected in 1996. Hmm. We're going to see lots more small independent titles in the market. There are some real gems out there. Number six, the big publishers will seek to shed their lines of non-performing books. It's sometimes better not to publish than to publish something bad. I've been saying that for years. (laughs) And number seven, more toys. I know I said it before. 
but I'll say it again. There more toys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, and I think, again, they're trying to pump up Toy Fair. They're like, oh, toys, toys, toys. You want the toy news? It's going to be in Toy Fair. Keep an eye out. <laughs> <laughs> Read between the lines. Yes. Buy our other publications, please. Now, the other side here, staying with the New Year's resolutions and predictions theme, is in the bullpen section, and they're calling it One Year Closer to Armageddon. It says, uh, having accomplished little in 1996 other than serving some hard jail time and proving that there are such a thing as too much cheese, we present to you the top 10 ways the wizard staffers hope 1997 will be your year of love and peace and through some deep, insightful New Year's resolutions. Bob Marshall says to remove Jenny Jenny Jones from the face of the earth. Wow, well, she, she pretty was, much did that with her scandal. Yeah, she was so hated. Yeah, <laughs> she was no. so hated. Why he couldn't have said Ricky Lake? Uh, do we love Ricky Lake? <laughs> <laughs> she's a lesser of two evils i guess you could say doug goldstein says to squeeze more things keep squeezing the monkeys lad reference that's for sure oh my goodness andrew carden says to stop putting wizards mego dolls in compromising positions and to give their clothes back <laughs> the infamous Andrew Carden Migos on his desk. Oh, the inspiration, Michael, for Twisted Toy Fair Theater in Toy Fair. And Mark Wolkowski says to finally meet Mary Chapin Carpenter. Hey, she's on the same planet, so it isn't impossible. Who is Mary Chapin Carpenter? I have no idea. No idea. I, we got to look her up here because we, we got to inform ourselves because I feel like I've heard the name. Yes, I have but, too. But it's but like, is she a singing star? Is she an actress? Movie, is a movie like, star? Is, I don't know. Oh, she's is, a singer. Yes. So, so it says she's an American singer, but I recognize none of her songs. Of course. Scott Beatty says, give Babylon 5 a chance, but persist in demeaning it in Doug Goldstein's B5 number one fan presence. <laughs> oh, so he's not going to let him know, but he's going to at least try it out. Okay. Brian Cunningham says to kill all of my roommates and get away with it. <laughs> he's such a nice guy. You know, he probably could make a great serial killer. Jim McLaughlin says, reveal to the world that I indeed am Garth Innes and then try and cash some of his checks. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Blackwell says to make stupidity a capital offense and get the job as the guy pulling the switch. <laughs> capital punishment, baby. Yeah, really. Pat McCallum says to somehow prove romance isn't dead. Hmm, interesting. Wow, very deep. Yes. Yeah. And finally, Arlene So says to be nicer to the editor in chief and try to get more money out of him. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't know if it was happening already at this time, but when we interviewed Arlene So, she told us that they actually set up like a general store in the design department. So they were like selling candy bars and chips and sodas inside to their coworkers. So <laughs> they were making actual money. And then they they said when they raised the money, they would just take everybody out to lunch or something. But I still, I thought that was pretty hilarious. So that maybe that's funny. what it was all about. Maybe. All so, right. Again, we want to thank our new partner, Manscaped, for teaming up with us to promote their products and, and uh, us promote them and vice versa. And remember, you've got a promo code now. If you go to manscaped.com and use the promo code WIZARDS20, and then you can get 20% off your entire order. So if you need to clean up that crotch of yours, have at it. 
<laughs> We're off the rails. We'll do anything for a dollar. So that does it for this episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We had a fun time going through these bits and pieces of 90s comic book history. So make sure that you are subscribed to us on YouTube. And of course, now you can subscribe to us on Patreon. Break out that five dollars. Drink one less cup of coffee every morning and uh, come join us. Have some fun in Patreon. I don't know about you, but a cup of coffee for me is about eight bucks now. So it's it's less than a cup of coffee. It's a better value. That's what we're talking about. You're getting so much out of it. You're going to make some new friends. That is for sure. Just want to give everybody a little heads up. I'm going to be on a little bit of a in and out hiatus the next couple of weeks. We're moving back into my house finally, but I'll be here for a couple of different episodes popping in and and so on and so forth. But I just want to give you a heads up in case you hear some of our special guests that Adam has lined up and not me fumbling over my words and screwing something up. Enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy that. (laughs) You can check us out on our social media. You can go to our Twitter, which is at Wizards Comics. You can go to our Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. If you want to email us, you can email us at wizardscomicspod at gmail.com. You can go to our T Public store. And like Adam said, you want to sign up for our Patreon and get some real exclusive stuff and behind the scenes content and all this nonsense we talk about all the time. Please go right ahead. Join up. It's five dollars a month. You're going to have a great time. And we got some cool stuff down the pipe. But until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.